Praise God. How many enjoyed the presence this morning? Wasn't that amazing? How many of you believe the Holy Spirit wants to refresh you? He wants to energize your life? In fact, you know, the Bible says our faith works by love, doesn't it? You know, so much of the time we, we hear messages that cripple people's faith. We hear messages that actually disempower and disengage people. The Bible says that faith works by love. God took the worst of the worst. He took the weakest of the weak, and he empowered them with grace, vision, and life. And that's what brought, brings people to a new level. Amen? You know, the Bible says it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. I want us to bow our heads this morning. I'm going to just share a little bit. I want to entitle my message, Flipping on the Switch. Amen. How many have ever flipped on a switch? There's a story behind flipping on the switch, so we're going to talk about that. But let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're a very, you're a refuge and a very present help in the time of trouble. We thank you, Lord, that you're here to speak into our hearts, transform our lives. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're doing a new thing in our lives, in our city, in our community. Lord, you're enlarging our wineskin. Lord, you're taking the rigidity and the criticalness and the negativity out of our lives. You're expanding our hearts with faith, love, and hope. We give you praise. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and give them a big smile, would you? Praise God. And doesn't that just do you much? Doesn't that just do you good? How many of you know the Bible says that the joy and laughter doeth good like a medicine? How many of you think we just need a little more medicine in the church, a little more joy in the church, a little more peace in the church, a little more faith and vision in the house of God. You know, sometimes people get so used to being sad. You know what? I, I, I read this a year and a half ago, a year ago maybe. They said some of the most stressful times of the week, this was out of a uh, non-Christian article. I was reading it. I believe it was online. They said the most stressful time of the week is when people go to church on a Sunday. That blew me away. The most stressful time is when they have to get up and get dressed and go to the house of God. You know why that is? Because everybody is expecting the worst. They think that the pastor is going to be condescending, preaching down on them, kind of reminding them of all their weaknesses and their failures and their faults. I'm kind of reminded that Jesus said that he's going to bring the good news. Now, that doesn't mean that the good news circumnavigates and sin. No. Jesus come to give us something stronger than our sin. We have no reason to have, be under the dominion of sin anymore. Amen? Because you, everyone say me. I am the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Do you know that you are Jesus on earth right now? You represent everything that Jesus brought through the message of the kingdom on earth. And if there's no victory and no joy and no power and no life in you, guess what? The world doesn't see a whole lot. You are the light. Jesus said, Matthew 5 said, you are the light and the salt of the earth. And I, I, I wanted to remind us that because we have every reason to rejoice and celebrate today. I mean, that is amazing to know what we are in Christ. 
In fact, can I just say this? That sometimes when we get bad news, how many here have ever heard bad news? Bad news, bad news, bad news. Everything's around us, bad news. And uh, even in our, or our, our uh, baptism class this morning, someone brought up a question, you know, sometimes when we get baptized, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. How many of you know why hell breaks loose on your life? Because you have power. Not only that, you shake hell to the core. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're shaking hell right now. Do you know why you're shaking hell? Let, let me tell you why hell's shaking. Is because you are so armed and so dangerous, and the devil knows that he's got to rattle you. He's got to rattle your faith. He'll rattle you through circumstances, family, relationship, finances, attack your identity. The devil works overtime. There's a target on your back. You know it. When you become a believer, the devil will seek to kill, he'll steal, and he will seek to destroy your faith. But that should be a sign to the believer that God's working. Amen. See, when you're the weakest, when you're rattled the most, is a sign the apostle Paul says, this is the season that we should triumph. We're more than conquerors. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about flipping the switch. I'm really speaking about the power and the, import, the purpose of fasting and prayer. And uh, I, I want to just take you to a passage in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus said this, If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I cast out demons with the finger of God. How many of you know that would be pretty powerful to cast out demons with a, that's called finger flicking power. Everyone say that with me. Finger flicking power power. Now Jesus said to tarry in Jerusalem so till you be endued with power, and he says if I, the works that I do were good, you're going to do greater works. Flicking, finger flicking power. Better say that right. Finger flicking power. Jesus said if I can flick with my finger and cast out, the, what he's trying to demonstrate is the authority and the power and the dominion, not only that he carried, but you carry. Because if you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to understand that your lights and your power is inside and it's available to you. Amen? You know, several years ago, I was a builder and I just finished a two-bedroom addition for a single woman who was getting ready to bring her mother to live with her in her house. And I just finished the last part of a three-phase job, just got paid, and on my way home, my wife calls me and says, the woman you just finished the job for called and asked you to call her back right now. By the way, that's a kind of a scary thought when you finish a job and your client calls you back and says, come back, we got more problems. You know, you'd think you'd be done. Well, really, I, I got, got her on the phone and I asked her, uh, can I help you? What, what, what's going on? And she says, well, the, the rooms that you added on, everything's fine, but I can't get any power to those bedrooms. So I said, hmm because we had some electrical, we added some plumbing, and we added, of course, the two rooms, bedrooms and a master bath, all that, two, be two bedrooms with a bath on it. So I said, well, ma'am, why don't you go, go, to your, uh, go to your power box or go to your box, uh, what is it? Fuse the fuse box, yeah, the fuse box, Th thank you. I need to hire you. <laughs> you. Need to go to your power box, your fuse box in your garage and turn your breaker on. This is what she said. What's a fuse box? 
what, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, it's, it's kind of a gray uh, panel. It's a panel, electric panel, in your garage. She says, is that what that's for? It, you mean that, that's an electric I, I just, I didn't know what that was. I had, she'd never even opened the thing all the years she lived in the house. Never even looked at it, didn't have any knowledge. And she says, what is an electric panel? I said, well, that's where all the juice, all the power comes into your house and then goes out into different circuits and you have these uh, circuits that you can, your uh, panels, you can flip on and off, your switches, which go to the different departments in your house. She did not know that. And so I came in and I showed her and we flipped on the switch and la la, power came onto those two bedrooms. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because when I was praying about this, the Lord spoke to me about something, about the church. You have been wired for power. You have power inside of you already. You've already been powered up, wired up, but you have to turn the switch on. You gotta switch it on. How many of you know that in order for you to access light and power, you have to make a choice to turn the switch on? Sometimes people are actually baptized with the Holy Ghost and power, and they do nothing. And they just said, you know, Lord, I've been waiting for you to show up. Jesus is saying, I'm waiting for you to turn the switch on. Amen? So there, there's, a, there's a responsibility. When you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have been endued with power. What does that mean? It means, first of all, you have been raised because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is connected to resurrection life. You have the power to bring dead things to life. You were not intended to just sit there in the dark while you've been juiced up and just come and get a blessing. You were intended to go on to different departments and different areas of your life, and you were to change the atmosphere. You're to turn the switch on. You need to understand that you already have the power, but will you flip the switch? Will you flip the switch? You may say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about, flipping the switch? Well, we're going to get a little bit into this. Here we find that Jesus, in this passage, is talking about casting demons out. And he's talking about the demonic powers that, that actually hold people captive. How many of you know there's a lot of people today, whether it's in a marriage, in their finances, or in their own personal relationship, they're held captive by certain strongholds that's in their minds, can be in their flesh, can be in their relationships, it can be a certain set of fears, it can be trauma, it can be an issue of their belief system, and so they're bound by the powers of a lie. Bound by the powers of a lie that chatters in their head all day long. You're weak. You won't make it. Nobody likes you. You're going to fail. It's not going to happen for you. God has passed you by. God has not heard your prayer. And you can sit there and listen to that line, or you can flip the switch and turn the power on. You can turn the power on. Because the power is already in you. But I've got to turn it up and turn it on and I have to access, first of all, you already have access. It's whether you on earth 
will come into agreement with what is already in heaven. How many of you know Jesus said the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray through the outline is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. By the way, his kingdom's already come. His will is being done for those who will choose to listen, follow his, hear his voice and follow him. But he said that when you begin to listen and follow him, all of a sudden you're going to have the same access. And Jesus even said this in John 16. You're even going to do greater works. So one of the things in order for me to flip on the switch is I need to make some serious choices in my life. You see, I, God is not going to come down and pull your brain out and put a new brain in. He's not going to come down and pull you out of your circumstances and put you in a, a, a circumstance where everything's just going your way. No, God expects you to shine in the darkest place. He never intended for you to sit there and be victimized and just buy into this theology. Now, hang on, I, I believe in the rapture, but there's some people today that just think, if, if God can just get me out of this horrible, deceptive, black, darkened world that we live in, and just until we all get to heaven when the day of a jury joy thing about the will of it. I'm not a very good actor, but that's been the theology of a lot of people. Lord, rapturous before the devil gets me. Folks, my Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a powerful church. He's not coming back for a ch weak church that's hanging on till Jesus comes. No, he's coming back for a glorious, powerful, and amazing church. A church that is doing exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. By the way, our victory is not measured how the world measures victory or success. One of the reasons for the renewing of the mind is to help you change your mind and think in accordance with his divine plan, purpose, and will where you begin to look at life through a different lens. And it's all part of the renewing of your mind. When, you were, when these young people today were baptized, amen, the Bible says they identified in his death. That means they were saying farewell to the old way of living, the old way of thinking, the old way of feeling, the old way. They were no longer under the dominion of fear and sin and being a victim and a slave to bondage. They were, not only did they identify with Jesus in his death, but that old body was buried. Everyone say buried. buried. It's not enough to kill it. You got to bury it. Everyone say bury. Buried. What does that mean? If you don't kill the body and then bury it, that means out of sight, out of mind. That means that I'm not even going to think or remember, or I'm not going to hang around the way I used to be. I have been raised with Christ. I'm a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. You see, I am not living in the past. The apostle Paul put it this way. This one thing, this one thing I do, is I'm forgetting what is behind. Everyone say forget. forget. See, now, th that's a choice. 
I'm going to not allow my past to hold me hostage. In fact, I'm going to let my past become a launching point because what Satan meant for evil, God's going to take it, turn it around, and make me a champion for the cause of Christ. That's why in weakness, his grace is made perfect. In the darkest place, your light is so available to shine. You see, God never intended for you to succeed and measure your success and prosperity and your victory based on the way the culture thinks it is. Your victory is not measured by the success or by the way the world measures success. The Apostle Paul says, I will rather glory in the things that concern my infirmities and my weaknesses. When's the last time you got up and said, Lord, thank you. I got fired today. Lord, I just lost my house. Lord, I just, I just had a knockdown drag out with my spouse. Thank you, Lord. Now, I'm not saying is the Lord suggesting that we give him thanks for abuse done to our life or that we just give him thanks because we've gone through a problem. He wants you to give him thanks because it's called the sacrifice of thanksgiving. In other words, when you offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving means that you're giving thanks for something that doesn't make sense. It's contrary to rational logic to give thanks for something that is going contrary that seems to be wind in my face, the chills of the north wind hitting me hard and it's creating fear and causing me to shake and rattle and roll. And God says, I want you to give thanks because it's as you stand fast, therefore in the liberty, and you begin to give praise right in the face of the powers of darkness you actually dethrone the powers of darkness. You destroy, you make naked the powers of hell, and you shake hell at its core. Because you're not supposed to be giving thanks. You're supposed to be complaining. By the way, do you know what complaining does? It gives power to the enemy. He loves complaining things. He loves you to whine and whimper and doubt and cry. Nobody loves me. I've been forsaken. I lost my job. It's getting bad. No, this is what we need to do. We need to start saying, yeah, I lost my job. Things aren't going very well in my finances because God has something greater. He's got something better. This will not move me. This will not move me. Now you may say, hey, Pastor Ray, I've been standing on that promise for a long time. Been believing God, been praying for years, and it seems like nothing's changing at all. You know, it's, it's easy for us to begin to think, maybe God's a liar. Maybe God doesn't really tell us the truth. Man, maybe he really doesn't mean what he's Maybe there's something wrong with me. A lot of people like that. Maybe there's something because, I mean, the problem is we tend to compare ourselves with others and we... We're running this race and we're looking at others win or others succeed or others being blessed in certain ways and we think, wow, they're doing well, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing that well. Something must be wrong with me. And the devil just compounds and he blankets you with this condemnation and you're always under this shadow, always under this cloud that maybe there's something else I haven't done right. So the devil gets you to fall into the trap of thinking that you haven't done enough. 
and you start evaluating. And then finally, that leads to burnout when you begin to realize, wow, I, have, I haven't done enough. And you know what, God, I, I, can't, I can't even please you. Yet all along, you've always been a pl pleasure to your Heavenly Father. Do you know that even in your worst state, you're still pleasing to God? Because it's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace we're saved. Even when Peter denied the Lord, even when Judas, even when Judas betrayed the Lord, Jesus still died for Judas. Do you know what? Today you can choose to be a Judas or a Peter. Peter fell. Judas fell. Actually, all the disciples fell. But Judas had an agenda. Judas felt so unworthy. And the Bible actually says, I believe it's in the book of Mark or Luke, it says that after Judas went back to the Pharisees, he took the 30 pieces of silver that he took from the uh, Pharisees and he threw it back in their face and says, I have betrayed the blood of an innocent man. And it says he went out in remorse. Peter, or Judas felt remorse. He felt a sense of remorse, but then he does something else. He goes out and he takes his life. I'm here to tell you right now, Peter probably felt the same way. But here's my point. Peter was able to receive and he was able to experience that second wind because Peter realized that he couldn't do it in his own strength. He couldn't do it. And so Judas, or Peter, begin to experience, and we realize that from the day of Pentecost to the day, or day of uh, Passover to Pentecost was 50 days. God takes a liar, a coward, a man full of fear, transforms him, even in a shorter amount of time, and he opens the day of Pentecost, 50 days from there, into a place where 3,000 souls are added. He begins the apostle, he, he is the apostle that opens the New Testament church. And we see the early church in Acts 2 and beyond that time begin to take shape from a man who lied, who denied the Lord, who was full of fear. By the way, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to take a Peter or a Judas and cleanse them and heal them. And here's another thing, completely restore them and even make them stronger than they were before. You don't have to be a Judas. You don't even have to be a Peter. God has some amazing plans for our life. Amen? Amen. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, how does fasting and prayer all fit into this? How does prayer and fasting all fit into this? I want you to jump over with me to Matthew chapter 6 just for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, actually Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was not a sermon for unbelievers. It was a message to Christ's followers. Some people believe Jesus had up to 500, maybe even possibly a couple thousand. But I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Therefore, when you do charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet. Notice what Jesus says. When. I want you to underline the word when in your Bible. When you do charitable deeds. He's talking about giving alms. Then jump down to verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners, they love to shout and 
Let everybody know they're praying. Jesus said they will have their reward. Then jump down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, everyone say fast. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sound countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say they have their reward. Guess what their reward is? Hey, man, you look really spiritual because you're fasting. That's their reward, is the accolades of man. But we find here in three, now there's some other passages in Matthew 6 as well. Jesus talks about not laying up ourselves treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven. But he says this, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say if you pray, if you fast, or if. He said when. What does that mean? There is an actual commandment. There is God's call upon the church to give alms and to pray and to fast. God has called us to fasting. Everyone say fasting. Fasting and prayer. Why is fasting in prayer so important? Well, notice what he goes on to here, verse 17. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, this is important because God is going to birth an anointing on you. Not just for the sake of an appearance. God wants to bring an anointing. What does the anointing do? It breaks the yoke. God wants to anoint. He wants you to not only anoint you, anoint your face so you don't appear to be fasting, but God is going to do some washing and he's going to do some amazing anointing on the inside. So he says to wash and anoint your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father. So what is fasting for? It is for my father who is in the secret. Now, in the King James, it says place, but actually in the Greek, the word place is not there. Because fasting has nothing to do with a place. It says the Father who's in secret. In other words, prayer and fasting has to do with you getting open and honest with your Heavenly Father. Being in the secret place is when you begin to shut everything else out. How many here have ever tried to pray and fast and your mind is just jammed with clutter and a lot of chatter in your head? How many of you know what that is? It's called demonic. It's called the lie of the enemy. He doesn't want you to have quiet time with him. The secret place is the intimate place. The place where you come before your father who sees in secret will reward you. So fasting comes with a reward. God wants to reward. He wants to bless you. He wants to bring the kind of breakthrough in your life that we need. In other words, he said, I will, what you do in secret and what you do before the Lord, God is going to reward you openly. Everyone say openly. Now that word openly literally means it's going to become obvious. It's going to become a very obvious, natural breakthrough. How many of you know that the things of the Spirit or the things in the spirit realm affect the things in the natural realm. What we do in the, the there's, there's an invisible heavens. There's the heavenly place. Principalities and powers. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly places. And it's the only way we can have dominion of those powers and take dominion is we need to learn how to get on the right battlefield to fight the right battle. 
If you're not on the right battlefield and you're fighting people and you're fighting your boss and you're fighting people in the church and you're worried about this and worried about, you're on the wrong battlefield. I got to get it. See, fasting and prayer is what puts me on the right battlefield. Because if you're fighting and you're worn out and you're trying to get answers and you need breakthroughs and you're trying and trying and trying and you just don't know how much I'm trying and I'm getting burned out, you're on the wrong battlefield if you are anxious. If you are be, just things are clinging and fears and things in your head, you're on the wrong battle. You're fighting a wrong battle. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I've got to get into the right battle. And then I need to use the right weapons. There was a man by the name of Robert Oppenheimer. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. But he was one of the leaders, one of the major leaders in what they called the Manhattan Project that started in 1939 to 1946. How many of you know what the Manhattan Project was? It was the development that America was doing kind of under the radar in the development of the atom bomb. And what they did when they dropped the bomb in Hiroshima or Nagasaki, by the way, I'm not here advocating this kind of a thing, but I'm just trying to let you know that it changed the course and it began to change the status of our nation. All of a sudden, all the world took notice about what America had. It had a weapon that was so powerful that could literally, with one bomb, destroy an entire city. Every other nation took notice. It brought us from conventional weapons to nuclear weapons. Do you know what that's what fasting and prayer does? It takes you from one level and moves you to a level that you, like Jesus here, I call it finger-flicking nuclear power that destroys the power of the enemy. But see, it lifts you to a new level of understanding, a new level of thinking, a new level of fighting the good fight. Jesus didn't promise that he would take us out of the world. He didn't promise that he would come and fight all your battles. No, he told us to fight of faith. But we need to use the weapons of our warfare. We need to use those weapons. We need to understand what those weapons are. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to reward us. If you need a breakthrough, if you need healing, if you need a breakthrough in finances, maybe you just need wisdom from God. May I challenge you to pray and fast. Now, some of us, we, we, we do this. Sometimes when we pray and fast, we actually come to God probably not in the best way, we come to God and we say, okay, God, I'm going to give up my Twinkies and my donuts this week. I'll get my co coffee and I'll give up my computer and uh, maybe I'll fast my uh, lunch for Jesus. Lord, I'm going to make a deal. How many of you know fasting prayer is not about making a deal with God? It's not about, okay, Lord, I'll suffer for you as long as you give me what I want. That's not the way it works. No, fasting and prayer is not about making a deal, and it's not about your suffering. Let's, let's also look at this. God's not trying to get you to fast and pray to watch you hunger. That's not the purpose. Fasting and prayer has nothing to do with, I wonder how many days I can get them to suffer for me so I can see how worthy they are to be part of my team. No, God's not interested 
in you suffering or hungering to be worthy to be part of his team. You're already part of the team whether you fast or pray. Fasting and praying gives you a nuclear and superior advantage. God want everyone say the advantage. How many of you ever got the advantage? God wants to give you the advantage. He wants to give you the insight with the foresight in the battle. He wants you to see what's behind the face. There's a face, the face of our culture and our world and our family and our problems. They all have a face, and that face is a scary face. But when you fast and pray, you're able to remove the face and see the power that's pulling the trigger on the face. And I need to know what's behind the problem and what's causing this hell to come against me. I need to, I need to learn how to pull down these strongholds to see what's going on really behind the scenes. Fasting and prayer removes the veil, it removes the curtain, and it gives you the insight so you can pray effectively. So you can speak to the power. Have you noticed that when Jesus healed the sick many times, he didn't speak to the person. He spoke to the demon behind it. He said, you come out, you unclean spirit. He didn't say, oh, hi, Fred. You having a bad day? Let's pray for Fred. Oh, Jesus, just give comfort to Fred in Jesus' name. Well, that's not what he did. He said, you have a spirit of affliction. You have a spirit of fear. Do you know fear is a spirit? Fear is a spirit that is birthed from a lie. That holds you hostage that says, you're not going to make it. Not going to make it. I just know we're not going to make it. See, a person who says that needs fasting and prayer. You need a breakthrough. Yeah, but pastor, I just can't fast. I'm not suggesting we go on a whole fast. There's partial fast, whole fast, complete fast, different kinds of fast. But I'm suggesting this week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I believe this is the reason why the Holy Spirit laid this on my heart. I believe some of the amazing days, not only for this church, but in our city, there is going to be revival that is going to sweep through this nation and churches are going to get packed out. And I'll tell you why. Because it's getting dark outside, but it's going to get brighter on the inside. It is not that we're here to condemn the world. I believe Jesus loved the world. He gave his son for the world. But I believe there's a revival coming across our nation and around the world. And light always overcomes darkness. But the church needs to be prepared for what God wants to bring. Do you believe God's going to make you a harvester? God wants to make you, let me tell you, some of the reasons why you are going through what you're going through is because he's preparing you to give wisdom and give insight and bring release to the hostages and to those that need deliverance and those who are held hostage in sin. Some of the things that you are going through right now is to actually empower you with such a word and anointing of deliverance that God will use you and your testimony. He's even going to use your weakness, your failures, your, everything that's been, uh, the things that you're ashamed of, God's going to use you to bring such a release to the captives. And yet, the enemy says that you're disqualified. You can't do anything. Look what you've done. You should be set on the shelf and forgotten. I'm here to tell you right now, that is a lie from the pit of hell. In fact, usually as deep down as a man will go, will be as high as he will soar, is because he's been transformed by the love and the grace of God. Fasting and prayer is what begins to transform your vision, transforms your attitude. It transforms the way you think. You're not running from a problem like David. You're running to Goliath. 
You come to me with a sword and a spear. Most people would panic. They would freeze. They're stagnated. They hide in their little cave. David says, and he's a boy. He said, you come to me with the, and you defy the armies of the living God, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And that's because David found his strength and he found that grace as he was in the secret place. Every time you wait on God, you fast, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do everyone. I want everyone to say this word, exchange. See, God's going to take your wisdom, your wisdom. He's going to take your insight, and he's going to take your weakness. He's going to take your arguments. He's going to take your arguments. He's going to take your questions and your fears, and then he's going to exchange it. He's going to give you a revelation. Now, I'm, I, I, are you ready to understand how revelation comes? You want to hear this? Jump with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I've got a few minutes and I've got to get done because I'm really moving on this thing quick. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want you to see something about fasting. Deuteronomy 8. Now, this actually doesn't have anything to do with fasting. But I wanted you to see something, what God was trying to teach Israel back under the law, under the old covenant. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And you shall remember that, the Lord your God, how he led you. How he led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. To humble you. And to test you. And to know what is in your heart. How many of you know God will usually show us what's in our heart through a test? How many here have graduated high school? And if you haven't, raise your hand anyway. We're still believing for that GED to come. Amen. Here's my point. You cannot move from one grade to the next until you pass the test. Now sometimes in our day and age, sometimes teachers pass kids even though they flunk just so they keep the money coming into the district. But actually, God wants you to realize that the reason why you move to the next level, and that level has to do with more responsibility, greater stewardship, because you pass the test on one level. And so as God was taking the children of Israel in the wilderness was a season of testing, Hebrews 3 brings this out as well, he humbled you and tested you whether you would keep his commandments or not. And the one thing that God brought them there was to let them know that they couldn't. Do you know sometimes God will allow you to go through a test? Now, hang on. Sometimes God will allow you to go through a test, and he knows you're going to fail. He knows you're going to hit rock bottom. He knows you're going to fall on your face. But you know what? He still hasn't given up on you. See, the problem is, we don't think we will fail, or we're trying so hard not to fail. To prove to God, prove to ourselves I'm not a failure. Look how much I'm fasting. Look how much I'm giving. Look how much I'm serving God. Oh, God, look at, look at me. I'm a good person. I'm a Texan. I'm a good person. Tax-paying person. I'm a good person. God's not impressed. So he will let you fail. God's not intimidated by, intimidated by your failure. He's not even shaking. Guess what? He already knew you'd fail. In fact, he's actually trying to get you to the point where you're a complete failure so he can step in and raise you up. 
I know some of that probably just rattles on me. You mean God wants me to fail? No. He actually wants to prosper you and succeed. But if you are still hanging on to your independent ways and doing it your way, he will step back and let you go for it. Remember when Jesus came to Peter one day and said, hey, hey, Peter, guess what? Satan's come to me and he's asked for you. He wants to sift. He wants to shake you good. Oh, he's going to come and he's going to rattle. And what did Peter do? No, no, Lord. No, no Lord. Uh, I, I, all these guys might forsake. I'm going all the way with you, Jesus. I can do it. I'm going all the way. Anybody ever make a promise to God? Oh, Lord, I'm going all the way. Praise God. I told our candidates this morning in, the Baptist, ba- Baptist, in our baptismal service, I said, don't make promises to God. Don't make promises to God. Because sometimes part of the process is God will allow you to fail so that you will come to know, come to know, so you will come to know that without him I am nothing. That is a huge breakthrough revelation. For you to come to know I can't do it without him. And he will let you fall on your face as long as it takes till you get to the place. Well, then what in the world does this have to do with fasting and prayer? Here it is. Notice what Jesus or what the Lord says. So he humbled you, allowed you to what? Everyone say hunger. By the way, we don't just hunger physically for food. We hunger with relationships. Do you know you are called a consumer? You consume through your eyes, you consume through your ears, you consume through your relationships. You, cons- you are a consumer. You were created to eat, not just food, but you consume through your eyes, your ears, your relationships, your jobs. You, con- you, you hunger for approval, you hunger for friendship. Some of us hunger for a husband, a wife. We hunger for approval. We hunger for success. We hunger for money. We hunger to be used. We hunger for this, we hunger for that. You were created for hunger. But the Bible says that he allowed Israel to be humbled and to hunger. Now why? Why does he do that? And he fed you with manna which you did not know. Notice this. Anytime God brings you to a place of hunger, he is going to simultaneously try to feed you. Oftentimes we think about what we're losing. Man, if I start fasting and praying and really giving to God, what will I lose if I tithe? Oh, God, for the tithe, what will I lose if I pray? Precious time away from the soccer field. I can't go to prayer tonight. It's precious time, precious time. A lot of people don't understand that anything that God asks you to sacrifice is not because he needs it. Let me shock some of you with this one. Do you know that worship is not for God? How many of you believe God's up there biting his fingernails because you're not worshiping him? (laughs) Those guys aren't worshiping. They don't know I'm God. They should be worshiping me. Worship is not for God. He doesn't need any of your worship. Well, Jesus said in in John 4 that the Father seeketh such that shall worship him in spirit and truth. The Father doesn't seek such that worship him in spirit and truth for him. It's for you. Do you know why I worship God? It's because when I behold and worship him, I'm transformed into the same image. I'm not worshiping him because he's up there all panicked. and God doesn't think like human beings. You know, I went to church today and nobody talked to me. Nobody looked at me. No one acknowledged me. 
That's the insecurity of our humanity. But God's not like that. He doesn't need your worship. He created you as a being to worship him, not because he's insecure. He created you to worship him because it's as you worship him and lift him up, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. You are changed from glory to glory. In fact, when God ever asks you to sacrifice, it's not for him. He doesn't ask you to give anything. He doesn't need anything you have. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your brownie points. He doesn't need all your, Lord, look at all the millions of people I brought to Jesus. He doesn't need any of that. What he's after is your heart. Well, then why does he ask me to give so much? It's so, here's the thing. Here's what he's saying. He fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Now, this is really crazy. God wants to give you what you do not know. He wants you to be comfortable with what you do not know. Basically, what he's doing, this is part of the purpose for fasting and prayer. He wants to reveal mysteries and revelation to you. But I have to become comfortable with what I cannot control and what I do not know. Fasting and praying is about going without so he can give me what I don't have. But what he gives me, because the word manna there means why. How many here have ever said, God, why am I going through this? Guess what? He wants to give you what you do not know, what you cannot figure out, what you cannot wrap your mind around. Why? Because he's teaching you to not trust in your five senses, but to walk by faith. And to call those things that are not as though they are. To raise dead things. Fasting and prayer. See, what does fasting and prayer do? It empowers me with a supernatural faith. When you begin to say, Lord, I don't see the job, I don't see the food on the table. Like in the book of Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit in the field and the, and the olive failed trees and there's, and there's, no, and there's, no, uh, there's no cows or no, no herd in, in the stocks, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Lord, I don't see it, but I rejoice in you, who is my Jehovah Jireh. I thank you for what I don't see, I don't understand, but you are my provider. That moves mountains. Are you with me on this? Fasting in prayer is not about what you're missing, but it's about what you're gaining. Do you know God wants you to feast during a fast so he can give you what you don't have, but also give you what you don't know? And when he gives you what you don't know, you still won't know what to do with it. So here's the point. Fasting and prayer, prayer 
brings, what, what is the real stronghold in my life? It's not drugs, it's not drinking, it's not sex, it's not gangs, it's not anger, it's not bitterness, it's not fear. It's not even the devil. The greatest stronghold in my life is up in my brain, between my ears. It's the fear, it's the limitations that I place on myself, on my marriage, on my family. It's how small my small-mindedness begins to shrink and push back the supernatural power of God because I use the word, I can't. I need to start saying, I can, though I do not know. I don't know what you're feeding me. Do you know God's trying to feed you something right now? Every time you go on a fast, God's trying to feed you. He's trying to talk to you. And guess what? When he gives you instruction and wisdom and understanding, he's going to give you something that is beyond your comprehension. The Bible says, Our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, it has not entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But even though it's that far out, he wants you to begin to rejoice in the miracle. God told Abraham, take your only son and go to the mountain that I tell you to go. God didn't tell him to take any mountain. You are to go to the mountain that I tell you to go to. Mount Moriah. And when Abraham took Isaac up there, it was a fast and it was a tithe. I could just imagine for three days this father's walking with his son, young lad, and all the lies and the contradiction. God said, I'd have a son, and this is my son. This is the fulfillment of the promise. And God said, God said, now he's taking him back. He wants me to hurt my son. He wants me to kill him. He's going through a fast He's going through an offense. He's going through in a situation where the test of his life, the test of his faith, the promises of God are now being tested by the sacrifice he is walking out. The arguments, the rational logic behind all of this seems like you Indian giving God. You give me, then you take it away. Boy, that's tough. He prepares the altar, puts the wood, but he tells his servants three days before, I forgot to say this, me and my lad will return. We're coming back. But Abraham knew he had to follow through with what God said to do. It's not legalism, folks. It's not legalism at all. The Bible says God tested. God tested him. How many of you know God never asks for anything that he doesn't plan to not only bless you, and reward you, but to give you exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ask or think. And Abraham lifted up the dagger to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord said, Stop! Stop! Everyone say it. Stop! Now, now I know you fear me. Now I know. Some of us have been going through a test. And God is asking you to lay things down. Fasting involves that. Lord, if there's been anything in my life that's come between you and me. God began to fulfill and reiterate the promise he gave to Abraham back in Genesis 12. I'm going to make your name great. 
Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I will make you a blessing. And those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. And I will, from your loins, bring great nations. Do you know that that same covenant through Jesus comes to each and every one of us today? Let me just, in closing, really quickly, give you what fasting and prayer does. Number one, it breaks our dependence, dependency on our limited understanding and what we think we know. Fasting and prayer will break our dependency on what we think is right and what we know. Number two, it opens our eyes to a heavenly, to the heavenly mysteries in Revelation. That's what fasting and prayer, God will begin to give you wisdom that you never thought you had. Number three, it will give you the advantage over your enemies. God will begin to give you wisdom and understanding. Jesus understood where the powers and where the enemy was rooted in, and that's why he could speak to it. Matthew 17, 2 Chronicles 20, story of Jehoshaphat. I'm not going to get into it today. The last thing in this, and this is so critical. Prayer and fasting is what births revival. There is no revival in any movement without prayer and fasting. How many of you have ever heard of the Welsh revival? Evan Roberts. Revival lasted from 1904 to 1905. He spent, 1905, he spent two years by himself interceding on behalf in the southern, western parts of England, praying for revival. There was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the miners were coming in by the groves. There was such an outpouring that there was no crime on the streets and policemen formed their own church choirs just to stay busy. Can you imagine policemen not arresting anybody because there was nobody to arrest because everybody was getting saved. When they get saved, guess what? Their behavior changes. They actually want to walk in integrity. They want to love their spouses. They want to be good parents. They want to be good tax-paying citizens. They want to do the right thing because salvation comes. But it all starts with prayer and fasting. I believe God wants to cause this church to turn a corner. He wants us to flip the switch on. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to move in powerful ways. By the way, just let me bring a little, little bit of, of a correction. By the way, the, the man that's coming in two weeks, his name is Chuck Marr, by the way. It's not Meyer. It's Chuck Marr, Pastor Chuck Marr. Awesome man of God. Very prophetic. You guys will thoroughly enjoy it. We ministered together in Mineral Wells, Carol and I, when we were out in Mineral Wells at a particular church. And I, I just believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. I believe he's going to breathe upon us. I believe he's going to empower us with vision. Uh, I, I just see so many amazing things happening in this house. Prayer and fasting is always the prerequisite to any move of God. There is no move of God that ever begins without prayer and fasting. So, amen? amen. Let's bow our heads. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I've gone through seasons in my life. Some serious questions and contradictions and issues in my own life. And I know that God is calling me to seek his face. I believe there's tremendous doors of opportunity ahead of me. But I've allowed the enemy to come and kill, steal, and destroy my vision. He's kind of put a damper on my first love and my, my fire. I had a fire in my spirit. I'm asking God to fire again the vision. Fire again those dreams that have been put on the shelf. To fire again those things that the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And this morning, I, I just need a fresh touch. I need the Lord. I, I just need my switch. I, I, need to, I need to respond in faith and believe God.
realize that he is not against me, but he is truly for me. I need that fire back in my spirit again. I become lukewarm. I become distant. I become critical. I become distant in my own walk. I know the Lord has so much more for me. If that's you, if you'd like prayer, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Anyone out there? Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Okay, see your hands. See your hands. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for these hands. In Jesus' name. Lord, touch them. Lord, just let the fire of heaven rest upon them in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you did not come, amen, to break a reed or to put out a smoking flax. But, Lord, you come to seek and to save, to seek and to save, to restore, to build us up. Prayer and fasting is not about sacrifice and losing. It's about gaining, growing, learning, and breakthrough. Father, we just commit this week into your hands as we wait upon you, seeking the Lord. Let's stand to our feet, shall we, this morning? Amen. How many of you believe in God for great things in 2018? Amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I I need one announcement. Tomorrow night, Monday night, there is no prayer here because we're doing prayer Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. But John wanted me to tell you he couldn't be here today. But he's going to, we'll be starting Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We will have a little bit of worship as well as prayer. But we're going to be praying and interceding for the up-and-coming meetings as well as just breakthrough in other areas of ministry. So I pray that you'll be able to make it. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say you're a champion in Jesus' name. You're a champion. You're a winner. God has his hand on you for amazing things. Never underestimate what God can do for you.